This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. A lot of people don't automatically think about making films in West Virginia, but that's changing. With the revitalized state film office and the restored tax credit, filmmakers are looking at the Mountain State. We do have a lot of actors here. We do have a lot of tons of video production companies. We're hoping to have enough creative projects here where they can stay home and work in state. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. Before the U.S. House of Representatives voted Wednesday to block a railroad strike, Governor Jim Justice weighed in on the issue. Curtis Tate has more. Justice, whose family owns coal companies that depend on rail transportation, was asked about the potential for a strike during his COVID-19 briefing. The governor said a strike two weeks before Christmas would affect more than just coal. And if we have a rail disruption for two or three or four days, it'll be bad. It'll really be bad. And God forbid if we have a rail disruption for, for significantly longer than that. Justice blamed the Biden administration for the impasse. Railroad workers are threatening to strike because a contract negotiated by the White House in September does not include enough paid sick leave. On Wednesday, the House voted, mostly along party lines, to give workers seven days of paid sick leave. It's now up to the Senate to approve or reject. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Governor Jim Justice offered some insight on not announcing a proclamation ending emergency rules for COVID-19 effective January 1st, 2023. Randy Yowie has the story. In his Wednesday coronavirus briefing, Justice said he didn't announce the proclamation because there was no reason to get on a soapbox and turn this into a political situation. He said the state will still receive all of its federal rescue funds. The governor's chief of staff, Brian Abraham, said in the briefing that the public will not see any real change with the lifting of the COVID emergency proclamation. He said the National Guard's duty roster will go back to normal and vaccinations will still be available. The vaccines will be available uh, at your pharmacies. They'll be available at your health departments. Abraham said the state's COVID-19 task force will remain in operation. Justice said his bi-weekly video briefings will continue with some format changes going forward. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yoey in Charleston. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is set to remove 17 fish fish passage barriers along Potomac River headwaters through West Virginia, Maryland, and Virginia. As Shepard Snyder reports, it will help aquatic species like brook trout and American eel travel more freely across the region. Removing barriers like culvert pipes or obsolete dams helps restore local ecosystems, but can also lessen the risk of flooding and help restore local fisheries and fishing communities. Shannon Estino, Assistant Secretary of the Interior for Fish and Wildlife and Parks, says restoration projects like these are some of the most immediately rewarding for river ecosystems. When climate change then poses threats to ecosystems, the healthier they are, the more likely they are to be resilient against those changes. So all of those benefits combined make these fish passage projects, the return on investment is enormous. 
The project is part of the National Fish Passage Program, which saw $38 million in funding from the Infrastructure, Investment, and Jobs Act in April. Another $38 million towards the program was announced earlier this month. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg. The federal co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission, Gail Manchin, was in Wheeling yesterday to talk about massive economic opportunities available for rural energy communities. Glennis Board reports. Manchin was joined at Northern Community College in downtown Wheeling by state and federal leaders representing a variety of government agencies. She and other panelists outlined some $200 billion of what was called a once-in-a-generation investment targeted at coal-impacted communities. Increases in funding are anticipated for everything from water and sewage projects, brownfields cleanup, and mineland reclamation to small business support and regionally collaborative economic development. What I find so exciting about being here is that it really is about how we can all work together and to see this a very strong group from Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Manchin applauded President Biden's efforts to infuse Appalachia with financial assistance to help the region transition from coal-dependent to a more diversified economy. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Glennis Board in Wheeling. Life may be returning to the way it was before the pandemic, but new strains of COVID-19 are just as contagious as the measles. Eric Douglas has more. During Governor Jim Justice's regular COVID-19 briefing, Dr. Claymar stressed that threats from the coronavirus haven't gone away. The number of people hospitalized in the state with COVID-19 has increased by 50 in just the last week, for example. And he noted that the ages of people getting sick and dying are getting older and older. We now have seen uh, about 90 percent of people who have died with COVID-19 over the last month or two be um, over 65 years old. So it's really pushing out to our older population. Marsh said current variants are up to 170 times more infectious than the initial coronavirus. He noted that nationally, only about 31% of Americans over 65 have gotten their updated COVID-19 booster shot. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. Consumer groups and Monpower itself are pushing back on a recommendation that the company purchase an aging northern West Virginia power plant. Curtis Tate has the latest. West Virginia Citizen Action Group, Solar United Neighbors, and energy-efficient West Virginia say Monpower should not be ordered to purchase the Pleasance Power Station. The 43-year-old coal-fired plant in Pleasance County is scheduled to shut down next year. Owner Energy Harbor, though, is looking for a buyer. The state's consumer advocate has submitted expert testimony to the Public Service Commission recommending that Monpower buy the plant. Emmett Pepper, an attorney for energy-efficient West Virginia and a member of the Charleston City Council, says the same witness testified several years ago against buying the plant. I, I, I don't know what's different. Um, it's, it's shocking to me that the Consumer Advocate Division would advocate for buying a power plant that was broadly rejected as not being cost-effective for ratepayers. The PSC will take up the matter in an evidentiary hearing in Charleston next week. In August, Monpower and Potomac Edison asked the PSC for approval to recover $184 million in fuel costs from its ratepayers. That translates to an $11 a month increase for the average residential customer. 
Rather than investing in an old, inefficient coal plant, Pepper says, the commission should be helping electricity customers make their homes more energy efficient or make it easier for them to generate their own power. In separate rebuttal testimony, Monpower expressed skepticism at the Consumer Advocate's recommendation that it purchase the Pleasance plant. The PSC has issued rulings in the past year and a half in favor of keeping the state's coal-fired power plants in operation for as long as possible. But Pepper says saving Pleasance should not come at the expense of ratepayers who have seen their electric bills increase over the past 15 years. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.52. Mostly sunny and breezy today. High temperatures in the 30s and low 40s. Tonight, mostly clear with lows in the 20s. Sunshine tomorrow with highs in the 40s and 50s. Tomorrow night and early Saturday, there's a chance of rain with partial clearing throughout the day. Highs in the 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. Earlier this year, the legislature revitalized the West Virginia Film Office as well as the state's film tax credits. The bill went into effect in July, and as Chris Schultz reports, in just five months, the state's film industry has already seen a bump. When Jeff Tennell started in the film industry, you either worked in California or you didn't work. I remember when I first first started doing it and not living in L.A. and people, where are you? You know, what are you doing? What's this? Uh, where'd you come from? You know, you can't do that here type of thing. Jeff and his filmmaker brother, Robert Tunnell, grew up in Reevesville in Marion County. Since they've made their way back to West Virginia with their company, Allegheny Image Factory, things in the industry have changed. That's out the window now. People could care less. And then you compound it with the pandemic where people work at home. They just want you to prove that you can do the work, complete it, and you have the skill level to be able to do it. Over the last 20 years, dozens of places outside of the country's traditional film epicenters of California and New York have established burgeoning film industries of their own. Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas now all boast robust film industries, and West Virginia is working to get in on the action. In July, the legislature relaunched the state's film office, moving it from the Department of Tourism to the Department of Economic Development and restructuring the state's film tax credit. Megan Smith is the manager for business and industrial development at the Department of Economic Development. The Film Industry Investment Act puts West Virginia in the national conversation regarding production. So really it gives us the opportunity to reap the economic benefits of the film industry by having productions here. Smith also says that the state's new tax credit makes it competitive compared to neighboring states like Pennsylvania and Maryland. There is no per project cap, no credit caps. When other states around us reach their credit cap for projects, they're going to be looking at us to spend their money in West Virginia because we don't have that cap. So that's one of the biggest and most exciting differences. 
While money is a driving force, the film office isn't focusing exclusively on finances. Dave Lavender is the Apprenticeship Program Coordinator for the Department of Economic Development, but he also helps productions around the state find what they need. He says productions of any size can seek out help. You know, West Virginia, it's Appalachia, we're full of storytellers. And so we get a lot of inquiries and some small budget films who need help. We try to connect them to uh, some of the funding possibilities uh, and some of the arts grants and things that are out there, even if they don't qualify for the $50,000 minimum spend. In what has suddenly become a crowded market for filmmakers and production companies to choose where to base their productions... West Virginia distinguishes itself with a variety of filming locations packed into a relatively small space. We have places that uh, you would really want to make a film, right? We got Civil War battlefields and coal towns and, and diverse cities and landscapes and you know, places like the Palace of Gold and Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. And we have some really unique properties here that are just tailor-made for productions. It's still early days for the film industry in West Virginia. The office hasn't compiled data on how many productions have come into the state or how much revenue they've produced. Things are still being built out, and Lavender says the film office is always looking for more locations. One of the pieces still growing to fit the state's filmmaking puzzle is a skilled workforce. Lavender says the film office is working on that, too. We have a service a professional directory up there for crew members and also for support services. It takes a village, a huge village, to make a film. Support services are really everything. That means everything from drivers to painters, hair and makeup specialists, and caterers. It also means the core filmmaking skill set of actors and video producers, who Lavender says are here already, but typically go out of state to work. We do have a lot of actors here. We do have a lot, tons of video production companies. We're hoping to have enough creative projects here where they can stay home and work in state. The Tennells have been filming commercials, TV, and movie projects in West Virginia now for 15 years and have already noticed a difference in the months since the new film office opened. We've done features here. We've done some television work here. We've done a lot of commercial work here. What was great about the last six months was the excitement that people had to want to get behind it. The goal for the Tennells and their Allegheny Image Factory is to produce six to eight projects each year. In the past six months, they managed three, including two Lifetime movies based on the mystery novels of Anne Rule. Jeff's brother, Robert, who filmed his 2019 holiday feature Feast of the Seven Fishes in Marion County, says seeing film productions in West Virginia is starting to get a little more common. When I did Seven Fishes, you know, that was really surreal and cool. Now I'm getting sort of used to it. Now I'm getting sort of used to driving through Fairmont and going, oh, look, there's a, there's a whole bunch of big lights and about 70 people standing around making a movie. But it's a, it's a really good feeling, and I'm, you know, and I'm proud. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. 
Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.